0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship at Resurrection Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Uh, The Lord is faithful in bringing about the changing of the seasons. Unfortunately, we as fallible creatures are not always so good about remembering that that means the temperature in the sanctuary starts to get colder as we get into October. So the... um, Building is in the process of warming up, but it'll take a little while, so apologies for that. And as we get into the winter, we'll remember to do that more frequently. I think we'll probably forget again this time next year, but um, that's the way it goes. If you turn to the back of your bulletin, there's a number of announcements that we'll go through. Uh, A few things for this morning's service. We will conduct our monthly celebration of the Lord's Supper at the end of the service, and the Lord's table is open to anyone who's a current communicant member in good standing of a visible gospel church. It doesn't necessarily need to be resurrection, but you should be a communicant member of a a church. Uh, We will also, as usual, collect the diaconal offering immediately following the Lord's Supper. Also, we have a special privilege this morning to welcome Peggy Panino back into communicant membership at resurrection, so uh, we'll get to enjoy uh, that aspect of the service together uh, several items for the week ahead week and weeks ahead uh, this Wednesday uh, October 12th midweek fellowship we'll meet here at the church building There will be an optional pizza dinner at six o'clock and then the uh, study time study and prayer time will begin at 645 uh, Please RSVP to Zach if you are planning to eat the dinner at six o'clock. Uh, next Saturday October 15th there will be a baby shower for Janine Geyer here at the church in the fellowship hall. Uh, Next Sunday uh, will be the ordination and installation for Mark London as a deacon at Resurrection. We kind of went around and around with the date on this. The bulletin is correct in this case. There was an email yesterday that said that was up in the air because it was for a little bit um, based on some logistics of uh, grace and truth attendance, but we got that finally wrapped up last night to End up back where we started. So that ordination and installation and other joyous event in the life of our congregation will in fact be uh, next Sunday, October sixteenth, during morning worship. Our next hot dog fellowship lunch will be, uh, I guess, it's three weeks from today, Sunday, October thirtieth, after Sunday school. A good time of uh, fellowship and, and food together coming up then. And the men's reading group, after a brief hiatus, will be uh, resuming on Saturday, November twelfth. The Books for that study are currently on the small table in the foyer uh, next to the book table, and there will also be available in the Sunday school room, in the fellowship hall, uh, during Sunday school, given that there's not necessarily necessarily a lot of time to uh, check those out before then. The suggested donation is $20, which is... Fairly steep, but actually a a discount from uh, what you would pay. And that being said, if uh, the cost is an issue, please feel free to just uh, give what you can or just take one, and uh, the church can absorb that. So a number of uh, good things going on both today and in the weeks ahead. Uh, But for the time being, let's uh, turn our hearts to worship and take a few moments to prepare our hearts.
1: Stand for the call to worship. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. In God, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we come into your presence this morning to worship and bow down to In our hearts to kneel before you, the Lord, our maker, because you are our God and we are the people of your pasture and the sheep of your hand. Lord, you are a great God and a great king above all gods, your word says, and in your hand are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are yours also. And the sea is yours because you made it and your hands formed the dry land. Lord, we worship you this morning, not just because you are that great God of creation, but also because you are the great God of redemption. From all eternity, Lord, you planned to save us so carefully and powerfully. And Lord, you sent your son, Jesus, to bring that plan to completion. Lord, that's the only way that we can come here to worship you this morning. It's because he died for us, because he rose from the dead for us, and because he's given us the Holy Spirit to draw us near to you. Lord, we're so thankful this morning for that most precious of all of your gifts. We ask that you would indeed fill us with your spirit this morning as we worship you together. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together from our hearts, number 241. Oh God, beyond all praising, number 241. Amen. You may be seated. Let's continue in our worship by confessing our common faith together using the words of the Apostles' Creed. So, brothers and sisters, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. This God that we've just confessed our faith in, this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a holy God. Holy, holy, holy. And he's righteous. He's perfect, and he cannot look on evil and just do nothing about it. It's important that we understand what his will is, uh, partly because... We just want to know Him and we want to serve Him because we love Him for all that He's done for us. Uh, not only that, though, it also shows us how short we've fallen and how much we need His forgiveness and the salvation He provides for us through Christ. So let's hear God's law now as it comes to us in the Ten Commandments. We'll read this together. It's found in your bulletin insert. Brothers and sisters, what is the preface to the Ten Commandments? And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What are the commandments of God? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Amen. Now that we've heard God's law, let's turn to Him and seek His forgiveness. Our Father in heaven, we know that nothing good dwells in us, in our flesh, as your word says. Lord, We have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Lord, we do not do the good that we want to do. The evil that we don't want is what we keep on doing. Lord, this is because sin is still dwelling in our hearts. Lord, this grieves us. Lord, we long for the time when you're going to make us perfect in holiness. And we're no, going, no longer going to have that, that struggle of the flesh against your spirit at work within us. But Lord, in the present, we confess that we are still sinners. We are prone to do evil and we are unable of our own power to do good. And that's why we depend on you, Lord. We depend on you, first of all, for forgiveness. Because we have broken your law. Lord, every time we've broken one of these commandments that we've just read together. In thought and word and deed, Lord, we have broken the entire law. And Lord, we have indeed broken every one. And so we ask for your forgiveness. uh, Not because we deserve it. Not because we're entitled to it. But because you've promised it on the basis of what Jesus has done for us and his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Lord, more than that, we also pray that you would help us to grow. You would help us more and more to put sin to death in our hearts, in our lives, day by day, Lord. Help us to make those choices that are holy and righteous and good, that please you and that that reflect your character because we're children and we, and we're, we are your children and we want to Show your character to others and display it in our lives. Because, Lord, we do love you. We want to be more like our Savior, Jesus. So do this work in us, we pray, through the Holy Spirit. We cannot do for ourselves. We ask all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, listen to this promise from God's word to those who confess their sins. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Amen. Please stand for the Gloria Patri. Seated. Ask uh, the elders if they would join me up here on my left. And Peggy, would you join us up here in front of the pulpit? I'll stand between you. Great. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ. Peggy, our sister, we thank our God for the grace that was given to you and that you have accepted God's promise of salvation and you've publicly confessed in the past your faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ. And we rejoice that God in his gracious providence has brought you into this congregation and given you a desire to reaffirm the faith that you have previously professed and to unite with us. And I would add to unite with us again. And we're so thankful that uh returned to this fellowship in the Lord with you. And I just also wanted to express that we've been praying for you and, and grieving along with you um, from a bit of a distance until more recently after the, the death of your husband. And we are so thankful for the opportunity to walk with you in this new season of life that the Lord is giving you and uh, where he is walking with you by his grace as your gentle shepherd. And now we ask you, Uh, That you testify before us all to the faith that you profess by giving assent to the following questions. First, do you believe the Bible, consisting of the Old and New Testaments, to be the Word of God, and its doctrine of salvation to be the perfect and only true doctrine of salvation? Yes. Do you believe in one living and true God, in whom eternally there are three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who are the same in being and equal in power and glory, and that Jesus Christ is God the Son come in the flesh?
2: Yes.
1: Do you confess that because of your sinfulness, you abhor and humble yourself before God, that you repent of your sin, and that you trust for salvation not in yourself, but in Jesus Christ alone? Yes. Amen. Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your sovereign Lord, and do you promise that in reliance on the grace of God, you will serve him, with all that is in you, forsake the world, resist the devil, put to death your sinful deeds and desires, and lead a godly life? Yes. Finally, do you promise to participate faithfully in this church's worship and service to submit in the Lord to its government and to heed its discipline, even in case you should be found delinquent in doctrine or life? Yes. I'm going to say a word to the congregation now. As Peggy is received into full communion in the church today, I want to remind us that the whole congregation is obligated to receive her because in Christ we are members of one another as part of that one body. Christ claims this sister, Peggy, before you as his own and he calls you to serve her, therefore, in love. And so each of us ought to commit ourselves before God to assist Peggy in her Christian nurture by godly example, prayer, and encouragement in our most precious faith and in the fellowship of believers. Now, Peggy, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I welcome you to all the privileges of full communion with this congregation of God's people, and I charge you to continue steadfastly in the confession that you have made, humbly relying on the grace of God in the diligent use of the means of grace, especially the word of God, the sacraments, and prayer. Rest assured that if you confess Christ before men, he will confess you before his Father who is in heaven. And now may the God of all grace, who called you unto his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while, perfect, establish, and strengthen you, and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Before you sit down, I'd just ask if Tom would pray for us.
3: You join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have brought Peggy to our fellowship again. Um, we thank you that she has been already an encouragement to us. We'd ask that you would make us also an encouragement to her and that you would strengthen us through our joint union in Christ. But Father, we thank you especially that you are not the God we turn to to join the Church, but that you are the sovereign God who made and upholds all things. And though we are sinful and rebellious, you have chosen to set your love on us, and you will never leave us. When Peggy last stood before us, Lester was at her side, and now you've taken Lester home. But we know that you have not abandoned Peggy, you have not abandoned Lester, and you are the God for here and now and for eternity, and so we thank you for our confidence in this Not because we can bring you anything to deserve these good gifts, but because you have decided to bestow them on us through faith in your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.
1: Please stand and let's turn together to Psalm 19b. Psalm 19b. You may be seated. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, the very heavens, even the even the parts of your creation that um, are not even living, um, are constantly declaring your glory, making it plain the glory and majesty of the one who made them. So Lord, how much more should we, um, whom you have given? Um, uh, life and breath and uh, ability to reflect on these things and to have communion with you and to understand your word, how much more ought we to give you glory and praise, all of our worship, all of our adoration um, in response to all that you are and all that you have done uh, both in creating us and saving us. Lord, um, we praise you for all of these things and we do ask that your Praise would increase that more and more your your glory, your goodness, your love, your grace would be evident throughout the world. That people would see it. That people would uh, be transformed by it as your Holy Spirit is at work in the hearts of um, people all over the world. And, Lord, we pray that you would please bless the work of, of the uh, proclamation of the gospel in every land. Lord, we think especially of lands that are very close to the gospel. And we pray that you would open them, that you would give success to your servants who are risking... Um, so much to to spread the gospel in those places. And we ask that you would please open uh, wide doors for the gospel to uh, spread and be glorified in those places. We um, ask for your blessing on the persecuted church. Um, Today we pray especially for the church in Pakistan, uh, where we've heard of a um, Christian settlement where uh, men rode by and began uh, shooting at... Uh, people in that settlement because they did not want a Christian settlement to be there. And Lord, we ask that you would please comfort this man named William um, and four boys uh, from that village who were critically injured during that shooting. Um, Lord, we um, ask that you would please care for this, these villagers and for um, uh, those who have lost. Um, loved ones in this attack and those who are feeling a very present, constant threat of violence towards them. We ask that you would please uh, heal these boys of their wounds. And, Lord, we pray that you would please put a stop to these attacks, bring these attackers to repentance, even in faith in the Lord Jesus. Lord, that is the ultimate victory that you can win. And we ask that you would do so and you would open Pakistan to the gospel. Lord, as we think closer to home, we pray today for um, our presbytery that you would please, um, uh, first of all, bless the Patons on the mission field and help them as they continue to adjust to their work in Uruguay. We pray for your blessings on our sister congregation, Redeemer OPC in Carlisle, um, that you would please bless the work there of Pastor Jeremy Brandenburg and their session and the congregation as they worship you even this day. Um, and we pray that you would please provide for their needs and um, uh, bless the ministry of the word and help your people to grow, uh, keep them from all kinds of evil. Um, and Lord, we ask that you would um, uh, cause this church to, to thrive and be a faithful witness in Carlisle for the gospel. We pray for um, Carol about that you would please um, bless her treatments for lymphoma. May they be effective in keeping at bay the cancer in her body. And we ask that you would bring her to full and complete healing and you would sustain her and Ron um, in um, their labors at grace and truth. Um, Strengthen them, Lord. This is such a hard path you've called them to. And grant them rest and refreshment. And um, uh, we ask um, for um, your blessing on our presbytery as a whole as there are various challenges we had a, a challenging meeting uh, yesterday, um, uh, and we asked that you would please, uh, regarding a, a church discipline case. And Lord, we ask that you would please uh, help us to um, faithfully uh, do what you have called us to do, um, to be able to restore uh, those who have offended with a spirit of gentleness, like your Word says, while keeping watch on ourselves, lest we also be tempted. Um, Lord, uh, here in our local area, Lord, you've told us to pray for those in governing authority over us. We pray today for our local government. Lord, we ask that you would please shine the light of your wisdom and your truth and justice on the many various officials of Center County and State College and the surrounding uh, municipalities. We pray you would help them to work as true servant leaders in a way that would make for the thriving of this local area and keep them from evil, we pray, and give us good leaders, we ask. Um Lord, we pray for this local congregation. We pray here at resurrection we would be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Um, Make us an enduring church, we pray. Make us a patient church, we pray. Make us a joyful church, we pray, because Christ dwells with us by his spirit. Um, Lord, we pray for those who work with the children in our church. You would please bless our Sunday school teachers and Uh, Nursery workers, we pray that you would please use them mightily in the hearts of the children in this church um, to uh, show them both in word and in deed through what they teach and through the way that they love them, um, the love of Christ and the truth of Christ and the beauty and goodness of your word. We pray you would bless us in our work of outreach to those outside our congregation. Lord, your word says, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. Lord, equip us and motivate us. We pray through your spirit to bear that message to the world and appoint them to the one true God. Um, We um, thank you that we can pray for each other uh, individually. Please help us to do this on a regular basis, to be a a praying church interceding for one another. Today we pray particularly for our sister Susie uh, Strite, that you would please bless Susie in um, all of her endeavors and the the, uh, Many ways that she serves others, and uh, including this congregation and beyond. And Lord, we pray you would please bless her and her relationships with her children and grandchildren. Um, and we thank you for the, the rich uh, fruitfulness of this part of her life. And we ask that you would please um, help her to be uh, faithful and encouraged in all of these relationships as she seeks to show the love of Jesus, especially to the next rising generation. Um, And we um, ask that you would please encourage her in her walk with Christ and help her to grow strong in the Lord Jesus uh, and help us to be a blessing to her as her congregation. Um, We thank you for the celebrations coming up this week, and we ask you to bless Derek and Celeste's anniversary on Thursday, Susan Kreiner's birthday on Saturday. Encourage these dear ones, Lord, as they celebrate these milestones. We pray you would continue to bless Jewel McGinty. Thank you for how much progress she's made, but, Lord, she's still Uh, waiting to be discharged from the hospital to rehab. And it's been such a long and lonely time there, um, recovering from COVID and and later pneumonia. And so, Lord, we ask that you would please restore her fully to health, uh, bring about this transition so she can leave the hospital room where she's been confined for so long, and um, restore her strength, we pray, so that she can go home and be with us again before much longer. Thank you for answering our prayers for Jack Albertson and for how much progress he has made after his recent surgery. And Lord, you, you have uh, been so gracious and kind to, to answer our prayers so that he could be back among us again. So we give you thanks for this, Lord, from our hearts. We also continue to pray for Janine, that you would bless her pregnancy and the upcoming baby shower. May that be a great time of encouragement for her and for the other women of the church. Um, Lord, you know the many other requests that we bear on our hearts this day. And we ask that you would care for each one and strengthen those who are weary, comfort those who are Uh, In uh, times of grief and sadness and difficulty, um, and help us, Lord, to take refuge in you. Uh, You are the only one who can ultimately help us, and our hope is in you. We pray all of these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Let's bring our offerings to God. stand for the doxology. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, you are the great giver of all good gifts, and Lord, you have given us uh, so much as a, as a stewardship. You've entrusted so much to us, and Lord, um, we know that of those those to whom much has been given, much will be required. And so, Lord, we ask that you would uh, make us faithful with the gifts that you have given to us, and uh, both individually and as a congregation, as represented by these offerings today. Help us to steward them faithfully um, as a church. Uh, so that this church would be about uh, our Father's business and not our own. Um, Lord, we pray now that you would please open our hearts to the scriptures as they are unfolded before us and as Christ is set forth in them. And um, help us, Lord. We need you to be able to understand and believe and obey what we're about to hear. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing and turn with me to Acts 17. We're going to go straight to our sermon text today. We'll read verses 1 through 15. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Amen, and you may be seated. A week from uh, this Tuesday is going to mark the 241st anniversary of the British surrender at Yorktown, Virginia, to George Washington, the Continental Army, and uh, their French allies that ended the American War for Independence. It was October 18th, 1781. Uh, there is a well known legend, there's a legend, I'm afraid, that um, on that day, as Lord Cornwallis's British troops marched out to lay down their arms, the British military band uh, played a song called The World Turned Upside Down. It was a folk song where the verse goes, if buttercups buzzed after the bee, if boats were on land, churches on sea, if ponies rode men, and if grass ate the cows, and cats should be chased into holes by the mouse, then all the world would be upside down. And, of course, whether or not the legend is true, it kind of stuck in the history books because it's just too good. Uh, the world really had been turned upside down in that uh, defeat of the British victory of the colonies. So uh, here in Act 17 we're a, a very long way both in space and in time, from Yorktown. And we're back in the Mediterranean world, in Macedonia, the homeland of Alexander the Great, but now uh, dominated by a different empire, the Roman Empire. And in the city of Thessalonica, the opponents of the gospel are accidentally going to pay the church quite an unintended compliment when they say, these men have turned the world upside down. And beneath the slander of that accusation, what we're going to see is they they were, of course, onto something truer than they meant to admit. But how so? That's the question. How were these men turning the world upside down? It was not, as these people were alleging, by starting some kind of revolution. It was not by force of arms or rebellion against Caesar. It was their message. They were preaching a message. And as we look at this passage, I want to draw your attention first to Paul's method method and message as they're described in verses 1 through 4. What exactly he was saying and how he was saying it. Uh, and then after that, we're going to look at two contrasting responses to that message. So there's going to be the response of resentful rejection in verses 5 through 9, and the response of eager examination in verses 10 to 15. So first, Paul's method and message. His message at the synagogue in Thessalonica is not all that surprising if you've been with us through this series on Acts. It's the same message he's been preaching all along, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, that the, the, the one that the whole Old Testament was looking forward to. And not only that, he wants to show uh, this Jewish audience from Scripture that uh, he wants to show them the Old Testament predictions and foreshadowings of various kinds of the death and resurrection of the Messiah. And you can imagine him taking them maybe to Exodus and the Passover lamb or maybe to Isaiah 53 and showing them the suffering servant who's pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. See, it's not just that Jesus died and rose from the dead that Paul proclaimed. It's that he died and rose from the dead according to the scriptures. And that makes a great difference in his gospel proclamation. Paul isn't just teaching these people what happened to Jesus. He's teaching them, step one, that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. And then step step two, that this Jesus... Whom I proclaim to you is that Christ foretold in the Old Testament. this, Or he would have just called the scriptures. The only testament there was at the time. Um, so remember that um, Jesus himself said something uh, to the Israelites who wouldn't believe in him. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. So that's Paul's message. I also want to point out what Luke says about his method. Look at the three words that Luke uses here for what Paul does. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining, and proving. We'll look at each of those in turn. The Greek word for reasoned is the root for our English word dialogue. Um, and so uh, Paul isn't just saying, uh, just just trust me, I know what I'm talking about, period. Um He's not trying to push them to make a quick decision for Jesus without really understanding why or what they're doing. What he's doing is he's giving them careful, thoughtful arguments. He's answering their questions. And by doing that, he is inviting them in. He's saying, look at what I have seen in our Old Testament scriptures, the word of God that we all accept uh, these scriptures. Let me show you what is there so that you can see what I have seen by the grace of God. So, so just look at this. Here it is, and there, and there, and there. He's, he's reasoning with them from the scriptures, not just demanding that they take his word for it. The second word there is explaining, and the Greek word there means to open something up completely that had previously been closed, to open something up completely that had previously been closed. Interestingly, Luke uses uh, the exact same word to describe what Jesus did on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. Remember that wonderful scene where uh, he's walking, the the two two disciples don't realize that this is the risen Christ walking with them, they don't recognize him They don't understand that Jesus is risen from the dead. And it says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, what did Jesus do? He interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And at the end of the story, they say to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? It says though before the Old Testament was like a closed book to these people, figuratively. But now Jesus has come, had come along and, and opened it up to them in a new way. Um, Jesus was not overlaying new content on it, saying, I'm going to read myself back into the Old Testament. He's not spiritualizing it or allegorizing it to mean something different now than it used to mean. No, what he's doing is he's opening it up for them to see what was there all along, from the very beginning. And that's the same thing Paul is doing here. Opening the scriptures. And finally, there's the word proving. And the Greek word there means to set something before someone. To set it out. um, To lay it out there. It's the same word that's used in the previous chapter, chapter 16, when it says that the Philippian jailer set out food before them. Spreading the meal. It's like Paul is setting out for these people uh, a smorgasbord of gospel truth from the Old Testament. He's bringing out one thing after another, and, he, and he's, he's setting it before them so plainly so that they can see Jesus in the scriptures and believe in him. I love when Psalm 119, verse 13 says, The unfolding of your words gives light. <clears throat> Unfolding of your words gives light. 2 Corinthians 4.2, Paul says uh, in one of his epistles, he says, we refuse, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And that's what good Christian teaching and preaching should be. You know, watch out for anybody who tries to tell you I can give you this special secret insight into the Bible that nobody's ever seen before. I have this secret knowledge. I can show you this hidden meaning. No, that is not what teaching that's faithful to the Bible itself does. Good Christian teaching simply opens up the Bible. It opens up the Bible and says, look, here it is. Here it is right here before you. I'm opening it for you and I'm setting it before you like a meal. The plain meaning of the Word of God that all speaks and has always spoken from the very beginning about Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation because that's what the scriptures are. Now, you would think, you would hope that that kind of open statement of the truth, that reasoning, that opening, that setting out of the scriptures to these people would lead them to look and to say, you know, you're right. That is what it says, Paul. Paul. Thank you for showing us. Um, And some of you had that experience before. Somebody opening the scriptures for you and you look at it and start to see in a new way, that is what it says. And that's a wonderful experience for God's word to be open for us like that. And for some people, that's exactly the experience they had. It says some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But for a lot of the people, there was a very different reaction, not based at all on whether or not what Paul was saying was true. That's the thing. It was based on whether or not they wanted it to be true. But the Jews were jealous, it says. They were jealous. And that's the first of the two most notable responses to the gospel that we see in this passage. The response of resentful rejection. They were jealous. Um, Notice that they don't make any argument here about how they think Paul is reading the Old Testament incorrectly. Um, It doesn't say they disagreed with him or argued against him. It says they were jealous. It's the same word that Stephen uses in in his uh, sermon before his martyrdom when he says that the other sons of Jacob were jealous of Joseph. And um, indeed, they are falling into that same pattern of opposition to God's messengers uh, that's continued right down through Israel's history. See they're thinking if people start following this message if people start following Paul and the Jesus that Paul is preaching what's going to become of our influence over people what's going to become of our leadership positions in this synagogue Paul who gave you the right who gave you the right to come in here and tell us uh, and our people here what to think about the scriptures regardless of whether he's telling the truth or not They're jealous in much the same way that the Pharisees and the Jerusalem priests were jealous of Jesus, jealous of the way that the crowds listened to him instead of to them, because his teaching was not like theirs, because Jesus was opening the scriptures and setting them before the people in a way that their scribes had not been doing. And so these people lash out much the same way those Jerusalem leaders lashed out at Jesus, except in this case, they're unable to locate Paul and Silas themselves, so they Grab the next closest person as their whipping post. In this case, Jason. And um, notice how they go about this prosecution. Uh, what does this say about their the sincerity of their kind of their outrage here? They're all outraged, right? They're saying, um, but but how do they go about this? It says they took some wicked men of the rabble, wicked men of the rabble, and they formed a mob, set the city in uproar and attacked Jason's house. You know what this reminds me of? Reminds me of a couple Old Testament stories. Reminds me of the mob surrounding Lot's house in Sodom. Reminds me of Jezebel when she hired those 'er ne'er-do-wells to um, accuse Naboth falsely. This is not about the truth. This is not about what's really right. It is about power. It is about protecting their position and status and control by whatever means necessary. And so you can see how manipulative and opportunistic their complaint to the authorities is. In verse 6, it says, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. See how they're expressing their ultimate loyalty, playing to the sympathies of these government officials and it's uh, so reminiscent of the chief priests speaking to Pilate when he asks, when Pilate asks the crowd, Shall I crucify your king? And in such a self-condemning way, they answer, We have no king but Caesar. When what they ought to be saying is, Our king is the Lord. They're showing here where their ultimate loyalty lies. It's not with the Lord. It is with Uh, whatever empire can keep them in power and give stability to their status quo that they want to preserve. And yet, when they call Paul and Silas and company these men who have turned the world upside down, what we want to see here is how they are speaking so much more truthfully than they realize. What they are trying to oppose is something they cannot actually hope to contain, because it is spreading. The good news message of the resurrection of Christ is spreading (coughs) with a supernatural power, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not really these men who are turning the world upside down, after all, is it? It is the risen Christ himself who is upending the world, transforming things, right, and left. And that is precisely what they refuse to admit, though, again. But again, not because they have good reasons to refuse. It's because they don't want it to be true. So they're stopping their ears and closing their eyes to the truth. This is something we all need to watch out for. When we feel ourselves getting a little bit irritated at something somebody tries to show us from God's Word, maybe calling out something that they, they think it's an area maybe we need to change, maybe where we're believing something that's not uh, biblical or, or living our lives in a way that's not biblical. And, and we feel that kind of anger or, or defensiveness, or that tendency to say, who are you to tell? We need to ask ourselves, why am I reacting this way? Why does this bother me so much? Is it because what they're saying is really wrong or is it because I know it's true and I don't want it to be? Well, thankfully, that response of resentful rejection is not the only response to the gospel we see in this passage. On Paul and Silas moved to the next city, Berea, and there they encounter quite a different response. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica; they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, though there not a few. Greek women of high standing as well as men. So they received the word with all eagerness, it says, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I want you to notice uh, very clearly that Paul does not expect the people of Berea just to take his word for it any more than he did the people in Thessalonica. Um, unlike the jealous leaders in Thessalonica, Paul is not trying here to build up his own power, his own influence, to get people to follow him. His goal is to get people to follow Jesus based on what the scriptures say about him. Um, In 2 Corinthians 4, he gives some insight into kind of his approach to ministry here. He says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And so when the the people of Berea say, um, let's look this up, Let's look this up and see if what Paul is saying is really so. Uh, Paul does not perceive that as a threat. How dare you question me? I'm the authority here. No, that's exactly what he wants to see from these people because partly a big reason for that is that he's confident that when they look with open hearts at the Scriptures, they're going to see the truth. He's confident that what he's been teaching is really there in the Scriptures, that it's not something that he has put in It's something that he is opening up and setting out. See that difference? So often you've got to watch out for people who are putting into the scriptures things that they want to be there or that culture wants to find in the Bible. It's not what we're to do. We're all to be examining the scriptures to see what's in there, to open it up and to set it out. Uh, This is important for us to think about for a few other reasons today. Um, uh, first, some people think, "Oh, all I really need to do as a Christian is just to say that I believe whatever the church believes," and that's that's the approach of the Roman Catholic Church. There's a name for it; they call it implicit faith. Implicit faith. Um, so the idea is that ordinary kind of lay people don't really need to know that much about the Bible or Christian doctrine. You just need to affirm, "I believe whatever the church teaches," and then you're covered. That's not biblical. Um, for several reasons. First, because the church is not the ultimate authority for what's true or false. The Bible is, and the church needs to be held accountable to what the scriptures say. And history has proven time after time that the church always needs to be reforming back toward that biblical norm when it starts to wander away from it. the second reason is because that kind of teaching, oh, just believe whatever we believe, for the church to say that, that's depriving God's people of God's word. It's great abuse of God's people failing to communicate to them that the whole Bible is for the whole people of God. The Bible, the God's word is for all Christians, not just for the clergy, not just for the elite, not just for the experts. We are all called as individual believers and in our families, teaching our children and so on, we are all called to know and to love and to treasure the word of God. It was we sang from Psalm 19 about... Um, how it is more to be desired than gold and much fine gold sweeter than the honey from the honeycomb, and that what beautiful imagery of the Hebrew poetry. In other words, the whole Bible is showing us time after time that the scriptures are not just for pastors, they're not just for religious experts of one kind or another, that we all are to be searching the scriptures so that we can so that we can turn that knowledge of Scripture into blessing for others. That's what we see in Colossians 3 when it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So it's not just that we're to know it for ourselves, we're to know it so that we can share it with with one another in community. But that's something that each of us has to participate in. Each of us has to take ownership of the idea that I am called to know and to love the Scriptures and to search them and to see what is there for myself with help and guidance from people more experienced and wiser people. And so I want to ask you then directly, are you making it a priority in your life to search the scriptures for yourself? Or are you leaving that up to... That's something that other people do. That's not something that I do. Are you making it a priority to read and to study the Bible personally, not just relying on your pastor or anybody else just to tell you what it says, what it means? I want to encourage you... That this is something you can do. You can do it with the Holy Spirit's help and with the help of other Christians around you. So, if if you're the kind of person who's always thought, I'm I'm not the kind of person who really reads the Bible, that's something other people do, Um, I can kind of ride on their coattails. I want to encourage that you can read and understand the Bible and what it teaches because the Bible is clear. It's one of the characteristics of the Bible, it's the way God's revealed Himself. And not only can you, but you must. You must if you want to mature in a healthy relationship with God. This is what God is calling you to. Now, this passage can be misapplied about the Berean. Sometimes when somebody says, be a Berean, be a Berean, there can be kind of the suggestion that you always need to listen to any Christian teaching with a fundamental suspicion. You should sit there listening to any sermon or teaching of any kind. Um, almost like expecting that right around the corner is going to be some error or heresy that you've got to always be on your guard against, Um, that you're going to need to identify and shoot it down and and protect yourself from. And that's the primary mode for listening to preaching and teaching. Now, there are certain contexts where that might not be a bad idea. If you're watching TV and you suddenly see a preacher come on you've never heard of, Um, Teachers on the internet. A healthy dose of skepticism is a good idea to assume that there's going to be some serious error and bad teaching out there. Um, But my my point is this. I want to see how these Bereans received the word. It doesn't say the Bereans received the word with suspicion examining the scriptures to see if these things were really so, you know, think in the mode of, I don't know, Paul might be trying to pull one over on us, so let's see if if this is really what it says. No, it, it says... It's a different emphasis. It says they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Um, see the difference there. It's look, look at, uh, look. here's what Paul was saying, and now look here, I can see it too. Why didn't I see that before? Isn't this wonderful? And and in a healthy Christian community, a healthy church with trustworthy teachers, that's the kind of experience that we're hoping for, right? Right. Um, At the same time, that searching of the scriptures is always, even in good churches, even in the best churches with the best preachers, it is always a safeguard against error cropping up because all men, all human teachers make mistakes, are prone to error, none of us are immune from it, false teaching can crop up anywhere, and to have this noble Berean attitude, not of suspicion, but of eagerness to see, what do the scriptures really teach, that is good for the church on, on many levels, and it's good for you to have that attitude. One more thing I want to say about the Bereans. This passage is a great reminder that the Christian faith does not demand a blind allegiance. Rather, it invites examination. The Christian faith invites examination. Real, genuine Christianity does not avoid the hard questions. It does not sweep difficulties under the rug. Uh, Christianity is not, as some have put it, a, a blind leap into the dark. That's not what Christian faith is. Paul doesn't say, oh, just just stop asking questions, just, just go with it, and, and trust me, and maybe it'll work out later. Well, these Bereans are commended. They're commended for searching the scriptures to see if these things were so. Christianity can invite this kind of examination with confidence because it's true. And when you and I examine the scriptures today, what we're going to find in them is exactly the same thing that these Bereans found in them in Acts 17. We're going to find one story about the unfolding plan of God to bring us forgiveness of sins and forever life with him through the sacrifice of himself in the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ, who now is alive from the dead. He's reigning over all things for the good of his church. That is what we're going to find there. And today, every bit as much as in this day, the Lord Jesus is about the business of turning the world upside down, making sinners into saints, transforming hearts and families and communities and churches by the power of the Holy Spirit until the great day when he turns the world upside down once and for all completely, and makes everything new when he comes again. That's something to look forward to, as the scriptures teach us to do. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the scriptures, and that uh, you have not hidden your will in some kind of code, but you have laid it out plainly for us with clarity. Uh, and Lord, we pray that you would um, help us to treat it as the most valuable, prized thing that we have and um, to search the scriptures uh, for ourselves, not just to rely on others. And Lord, we ask that as we do so, you would continually, day by day, show us the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory and grace. And now we ask that you would do the same for us, show us that same Christ, but now in a visible way through the Lord's Supper. We ask in his name, amen. Before the gospel message uh, started turning the world upside down in Acts, it was Christ himself who turned everything upside down. For example, that night when he took the towel and wrapped it around his waist and washed his disciples' feet, and when he handed them bread and wine and said, I'm giving myself for you king of the universe taking on human flesh in the first place, the incarnation. That was turning things upside down. But not just that, but then for him to offer himself in sacrifice for sinners like us. That was turning things upside down. But of course, you know what he was really doing? Was turning the world right side up through that sacrifice. Let's have that in mind as we consider that great topsy-turviness of the Lord's Supper and how it is turning our souls upright again as sinners saved by grace. Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, And said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper as an ordinance to be observed by his church until he comes again. It is not a re-sacrificing of Christ, but it is a remembrance of Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice of himself in his death for our sins. But it's not a mere memorial. It is a means of grace in which God feeds us spiritually with Christ as we receive him by faith through the Holy Spirit. The Lord's Supper is God's sign and seal to us of the forgiveness of our sins, of our nourishment and growth in Christ. He confirms to us his covenant promises and calls us to repentance, holiness, obedience, and loyalty to him. The Lord's Supper also represents the communion that we have with each other in Christ as members of his body. And it teaches us to look forward together to the second coming of Christ and the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, now, as a minister of Christ, I invite all of you who are right with God... And with his church, through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, to come to the Lord's table with us this morning. Um, that means that the Lord's table is for anyone who is uh, right now trusting in Christ alone for salvation from your sins, for forgiveness, and everlasting life. Uh, as well as you are to be a baptized, communicant member of a true Christian church. Um, as was mentioned earlier, that doesn't necessarily you have to be a member of Resurrection OPC. You should be a member of a church that preaches the true gospel. And that doesn't, doesn't just mean attending there regularly, but that you have uh, done what you saw today, professed your faith publicly, and been received into membership under the oversight of that um, church's uh, leadership. I <clears throat> um, also want to remind you that God's word says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. There's a very serious warning, especially for those who are not Christians, those who are living persistently in sin with no intention of giving it up. Um, For those who um, have trusted Christ but have not made that open commitment to the church, to the body of Christ in church membership, um, if any of those things are true for you, you should not take the bread and the wine. You should let it pass you by. But that doesn't mean that there's nothing for you to see here today. You're to see these symbols of the sacrifice of Christ for you as they call you to repentance and faith and also communion with him and with his people um, in the church. But the last thing I want to say is that this sacrament is not for perfect people. It's not for people who have no sin. sin. It is for sinners and um, It is for those who are upside down and need to be turned right side up by the grace of God. And so with that in mind, let's pray and receive this sacrament together. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the body and blood of Christ given for us on the cross. And we ask that through these common elements, Lord, you would accomplish your holy purpose among us today through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we would feed on Christ by faith. You would strengthen us for our Christian life in the days to come. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Lord Jesus, the same night when he was betrayed, took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. As I, ministering in his name, give this bread to you. There are gluten-free crackers marked. Save them for those who need them. Our Lord Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, our Savior also took the cup, and having given thanks, this has been done in his name, he gave it to his disciples. As I, ministering in his name, give this cup to you. There's grape juice in the outer ring. Our Lord Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for you providing this meal, for setting out before us not only the rich feast of the scriptures, but the rich feast of of bread and wine and all that they represent of the Lord Jesus Christ himself and all that he's done for us. Lord, we pray that you would please strengthen each one of us uh, through this covenantal uh, meal um, to serve you with all that is in us, to forsake the world, to put to death our sinful deeds and desires and to lead a godly life as we have promised to do, but we can only do by your strength. We're so thankful for the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice for us. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen. Please remain seated and uh, turn with me in closing to Hymn 338. We'll sing the first three stanzas, seated and stand before the fourth. The diaconal offering will be received. Amen. Immediately after the benediction, join us for fellowship uh, prior to Sunday school in the fellowship hall. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.